risen and receive these words of scripture from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 23, beginning with the 33rd verse. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Receive what the Spirit is saying. I invite all of us who are gathered from all the places we are to pray together. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, on this day we give you thanks for the beautiful and perfect gift of Jesus, who came into the world to show us your way, your love, your life, and to guide us in the ways of your justice and your peace. O God, today may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, for you and you alone, O God, are our rock and redeemer. Amen. The words humility and human come from the same Latin word, humus, which means dirt. In Genesis 2, God forms the earth creature, the human, from the dust of the earth. And this story, from the very beginning, establishes a sense of perspective and proportion to what it means to be human. We are made of the earth, within which we live, and we are not God. We are creations of God, fashioned and life-breathed by God. We are children of God, made by love for love. Unfortunately, the word humility has lost that vision 
By many, it has gotten twisted over the years, leading some to think of it as the experience of feeling like dirt or getting treated like dirt. Humility may get associated with low self-esteem or self-deprecation, with weakness or with shame. Over the centuries, teachings about humble service uh, coming out of the scripture, certain interpretations of scripture have landed in harmful ways upon women and upon anyone and all who have been enculturated to put others' needs ahead of their own. These kinds of teachings have provided the religious legitimation for keeping people in small, life-limiting, often abusive boxes, and then making them feel that they're being holy by staying there. Beloved, these ways of interpreting the scriptures, of thinking about humility, are completely counter to the teachings and example of Jesus. The wisdom within the Christian tradition is that humility is simply recognizing the truth about ourselves. That is to recognize both our limitations and our gifts. Humility isn't pretending that we're not good at things, that we're not good at playing the piano or playing hockey or baking or organizing things or whatever it is that we do well. We're not supposed to pretend we don't have gifts. Humility isn't a constant focus on our faults and our failures, our limitations as human creatures. We don't have to constantly be thinking about how we're getting it wrong to be humble. Father Thomas Keating, the late teacher and practitioner of contemplative prayer, said this, Humility is an attitude of honesty with God, with oneself, and with all of reality. It enables us to be at peace in the presence of our powerlessness and to rest in the forgetfulness of self. To rest in the forgetfulness of self. This wisdom is at the heart of humility, according to many spiritual teachers. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, um, writing this in 1951, I think, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. 
The idea of forgetfulness of self is not that we think less of ourselves. It is that we think of ourselves less often. When we know who we are as beloved children of God and are honest about our gifts and our strengths and about our limitations and our faults, we begin to be freed from self-obsession. We have to do the work on ourselves to get free of ourselves. <laughs> we become able then to be fully present with others without constant self-reference, worrying about what people think of us or what we should say or how we should act in order to be received or to feel like we're okay. We begin to release the need to compare and contrast ourselves and our lives with others. None of this comes easily for most humans. One spiritual teacher says, quote, life is one long lesson in humility. It is easy to misinterpret the words we received today from the letter to the Philippians as encouragement to intentionally make ourselves smaller than we are. In humility, regard others as better than yourselves. But if humility is about telling the truth, then being humble includes being clear that each one of us is a beloved child of God with gifts to share. You are beautiful and beloved and have unique gifts to share. And, like Pastor Jonathan taught the children, you are not better than anyone else. Imagine how different the world would be. Just imagine how different the world would be if folk weren't always trying to keep others down so that they could feel like they are somebody, that they are better than. The teaching in Philippians is about perspective, and it's about being honest. The teaching in Philippians is not telling us to make ourselves small or to downplay our gifts. The teaching encourages us simply to let go of selfish ambition and to use our gifts not to keep anyone down, but to serve the interests of others, to serve the common good. The teaching in Philippians is about being like Jesus, who could have done anything. <laughs> he could have used his charisma, his intelligence, his wisdom, his courage, and all the rest to get whatever he wanted. He could have lorded over others his entire life. He could have chosen to live long and prosper as he reigned over all things. But Jesus didn't choose to rule over others, but rather to sojourn alongside those who suffered, to 
be in solidarity with the oppressed. You see, Jesus is not a Lord over others kind of Lord. (laughs) Jesus was clear about who he was, and he was clear about his particular gifts and how he could bring those to fulfill his calling. A calling which was about being the bearer of good news for the poor and liberation for those held captive to any life-stealing thing. Bringing a word of hope and a way to bring about economic justice and the peace that flows from a reality in which all have enough and the rich do not steal from the poor. As a practitioner of peace, Jesus didn't rise up with violence or defensive words against the slanders that led to his arrest. He simply, humbly kept telling the truth and having mercy on others and forgiving sins and restoring and calling people into loving and just community. Jesus' humility was not to make himself small or to pretend he didn't have gifts. Jesus' humility was to freely choose to come into this world to experience all our human trials and our limitations and to offer himself as a gift for the life and liberation of the whole world. Even from the cross, Jesus was humble, peaceful, generous, life-giving. Forgive them. Forgive them, he said. And then when one of those who was crucified with him acknowledges Jesus' innocence and and his own fault, and then asks for what he needs, saying, Jesus, remember me. Jesus promises him paradise. I want to pause here for a moment on the one who asks for what he needs. This one who, in his own words, is justly convicted, asks for what he needs. There was no guarantee that he would receive anything. He acts with profound humility. The scene at the place called the skull is a dramatic example, but it is always humbling to ask for what we need. And I'm not talking about asking for needs like sugar for my tea or the right shoes for an outfit. (laughs) I'm talking about the things we need in relationships like forgiveness or a different kind of attention or help. I'm talking about things like asking our families and friends for love and support as we come out. I'm talking about asking for help when we feel like we are drowning, when we are working ourselves into or trying to work ourselves out of an addiction and we need help. I'm talking about the things that we need to survive and thrive. 
I venture a guess that a relatively small number of people are well practiced in asking for what we need. And one reason is that asking for what we need makes us vulnerable in all kinds of ways. There's never a guarantee about what we'll get in response. And it is humbling to acknowledge that we need help. Our culture doesn't teach us to do that. To acknowledge that we need help, that we can't do it all on our own. It is humbling to acknowledge that we've hit our limit or that we've done something hurtful or that we need to make painful changes in our lives or that we're tired or that we're suffering from mental illness or that we don't have all the answers or that we've messed up or that we're not taking care of ourselves as well as we should or that we've relapsed. Our culture places a high value on how we present ourselves and how things look. And we're taught to hide a lot so that people don't see what's real. I always love seeing those photos on social media where it's a photo and it says, no filter. Because how often is everything we project into the world filtered by something? We're taught to hide what's really true. We struggle to let ourselves be vulnerable. And by the way, I'm not advocating being vulnerable all over the place. <laughs> But in mutual, real relationships, taking the risk is so, so important. Being humble, being vulnerable are not signs of weakness but of great courage and strength. Asking for what we need in the ways I've described is not being selfish, it's, it's being honest and humbly acknowledging that we do have limits, that we have needs that cannot be met on our own. It's telling the truth. And you know what they say, that the truth will what? It's going to set you free. First, it's going to be really hard, <laughs> but it's going to set you free. There was something profound that happened that day at the place called the Skull, even before Jesus died and rose again. A beloved child of God next to Jesus, a, a child of God fashioned and life breathed by God, turned to the one that he somehow knew he could trust. And in that moment, he was honest, and he asked for what he needed. And he received more than he ever imagined. Even when you are not ready, to bring your vulnerability to another person. Learn from the story today. You can turn to the one who is always ready to embrace you and to give you whatever grace and mercy you need. Jesus. 
Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amen. In these next few moments, we're going to take some time for reflection on all that we have heard and shared today. And I invite you to consider some things that we've talked about, to acknowledge the ways, perhaps, that we get caught in the web of self-obsession, or to ponder where you might need to be more honest about your gifts or about your needs. I invite you to think about the broken places in your life that need God's grace and mercy to be mended. To ask for God to help you to have the courage to be vulnerable for the sake of new and liberated life. Since ancient times, oil has been used as a sign of both blessing and as a healing salve for the woundedness of human lives. And so today, we will be offering the anointing with oil for those who would like to receive it. In these next moments, you're invited to simply be in reflection and to pray where you are. Let us be in a time of reflection and time of prayer, trusting the one who awaits to meet us.